Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Carla. Michael, we're back. (laughs) We are back. Season two. 2023. I don't know how that happened. Like just yesterday, we were all sitting around February 2020 thinking, ah, coronavirus, no big deal. No this biggie. This is fine. No biggie. <laughs> this is fine. None of our life is going to be disrupted. We were traveling still. We were in D.C. We I, went to D.C. that in February. I literally went on a bachelorette yeah. party in February. And I remember we were in California in Temecula with our friends. And there was this one guy that was in full-blown like Walmart purchased hazmat suit <laughs> that included – like it was one of those cleaning plastic suits that you can put over. Yeah. But then he had fashioned like with some – Duct tape. Some gloves and duct tape. And he had goggles for the pool on and a big mask. And we're like, this dude's crazy. He's probably the only person in this country that hasn't gotten coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, we just didn't think it was a thing. And then how quickly the years have gone. And then also for us, it's been a few weeks since we recorded. We were able to push out our last episode of the year between my vacation, my sickness, your vacation, and your birthday. My birthday, what happened? Like family visit. My mom came over for the holidays. That was cool. Like my mom growing up, our Christmas Eves were almost, I don't want to say better. That's not the right word, but they were so different than Christmas day. We got like matching pajamas and we had all of these treats in our stockings that were just some of our favorites. And we kind of redid that for my mom. And so that was a lot of fun, but yeah, time off, all of that shenanigans and just shout out to the pandemic, all the shit you brought us. Also, I think that was the progenitor of us finally doing this. Like, we need something to do in the pandemic. We're like, let's do it. Let like, and I think seeing everyone start to do a podcast and be like, we can do this. We can do this. And you guys, we're doing it. So we are. Yeah, we just hit three thousand listens. More than now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's over three thousand now. Um. So we are excited. I think for what you'll see from us in twenty twenty three. Maybe next couple of months, we might slow it down just a little bit um, instead of every week. might be a little more like every other week. Sometimes we might be able to pop in two episodes, but I think that's how it's going to go. And then I think you'll see it pick up after a few months. We're also going to try some guests to come and talk to us. Yes. So we put this out the last episode. I know I got a few messages. You got a few messages about, yes, let's let's go talk about true crimes. Also continue to send us cases that you want us to listen to or for us to talk about because, and also like we just, and if you want to come and talk about true crime with us, like that's what we want to do. So come, come join us. 2023 is going to be a wild ride and we have a very special case to kick things off with you. This is, I mean, just topsy turvy. It has everything. Everything. It has, it has all the drama. This is it has a some, like, music. Almost, a movie. No, but it might be a musical. <laughs> like, that, like, I legit think if someone wrote a couple of songs to this, this could be a successful Broadway hit. Listen to us, Broadway, and give us the royalties. We love you. Yeah, instead of Wicked, it could be Nosy Bitches. <laughs> I would go see that show. I would definitely go see <laughs> that show. I'm biased. That's fine. So I found this story. It's Interesting. You know, my daughter and I are big fans of Vampire Diaries, right? In October, we went to that Vampire Diaries convention. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. That's right. Let's hit up Epic Cons. So if, if you love Vampire Diaries and a convention is on your list, 
you can check them out. Uh, we'll we'll link them on our socials. But went there and I got to meet Candace King, who was in Vampire Diaries. Yeah. So over the new year, we were in Orlando and came back from the theme parks and just being exhausted and wanted something to play on the TV. I see this Lifetime movie starring Candace King, and it's called The Suitcase Murders, um, the Melanie McGuire story. I was like, I have to listen to this. So I watched the Lifetime movie, which is everything that a Lifetime movie should be. And then I start to research this story and I find a podcast called Direct Appeal Melanie McGuire Case. And essentially it's two professors who are going through all the evidence of the case. They're talking to Melanie. They're talking to other representatives from the case and they're giving their opinion at the end of what they felt happened and was she guilty or was she innocent. 2020 also did an episode. I was able to parse fact from fiction. It's got everything. It's got love. It does have love. It's got adultery. It sure does. It's got um, the mob, possibly <laughs> the mafia. It has got gambling, murder. Well, and by the way... An outcome that I'm not sure either of us necessarily aligned to. So Yeah, I will say it. Do we have someone who could possibly be wrongly convicted? Could it have been somebody else? So we'll tell you the story of Bill and Melanie McGuire, and then we'll let you guys decide, do you think that there either is enough evidence or that she did it? I feel like we're asking ourselves this question a lot with a lot of cases. Which is kind of the beauty of true crime, just kind of recommitting to that as we get into this. We love the glimpse into human behavior and human psychology that true crime shows us. I think for both of us, that's something that we're really passionate about. What does it tell us when we get into a case like this and have to legitimately ask about someone that on the screen looks like a perfectly reasonable human being? Did you kill someone? So... I'm excited for us to ask a lot more questions about that in 2023. Get us started. Okay, so let's talk about their love story. In order to really understand the relationship between Melanie and Bill McGuire, I think it's important to understand their dynamic, their pitfalls, their own flaws, the other characters who played roles in their life. And then the disappearance of Bill and eventually finding of his body. We'll talk a little bit about the court case because I just have to talk about court cases. Um, I always feel like it's such an important piece to it. That's my favorite part too. And you get such perspective when these lawyers have dug into both what it looks like to prosecute this person and defend them. I'm looking so forward to today. Let's talk a little bit about who Bill McGuire was. Bill is described as a charismatic man. He was a blackjack expert, and so this is a game that he played for most of his adult life, and he was very successful. And I kind of use air quotes because the way that they describe successful, and I, did, I didn't know this because I don't gamble very much, maybe some slot machines, yeah. Um, but the way that they describe successful blackjack players, um, besides being like competitive level, is that you're probably a little bit more than breaking even. The gambling business is hard so you make in any money right you are air quotes successful yes you are making okay. anything you're good he was in the u.s navy he did actually did worked on computers in the navy at the time that they meet he is still currently married but he separated from his wife marcy they have no kids together he is about 28 when 
him and Melanie meet. How old was she? 20. Okay, so a little bit of an age gap. That's an interesting point to have age gaps too. Like 30 to 38 don't matter so much. 20 to 28, there's, I don't know, my opinion, a little bit of a gulf there. Yeah, I would say from like 30 on, the eight years probably doesn't make a difference. You're still growing up so much at 20 years old. Like, holy shit, the things I thought I knew and that I was so, so wrong about at 20 years old. 20 to 28, to me, that feels like a significant gap. And maybe depending on where the man is in his life, maybe it's not that significant. But It's true because the girls are usually a little ahead at that point. Right. Most men, they, they need to 30 to ripe. They need a full 30 years. Bill meets Melanie in late 90s at a restaurant where they both were working. Melanie was in a casual relationship with another man during this time. Both were mutually interested in each other. And like most budding love affairs, it doesn't take long before they are dating and the man that Melanie was seeing kind of floats away to the side. Melanie is in nursing school at the time and Bill was currently in high school. Melanie was 20 and Bill was 28. So she was definitely dating an older man. As someone that is with an older man, I like fully support this Melanie. Good for you. One thing that I just want to caveat, a lot of the information that we're getting is one-sided. We have the ability to hear the perspective as they talk about the beginning of the relationship for one person. So I just want to throw out there that like, just understand that some of these things that are facts may not be capital T true in reality, but they are one person's interpretation of how things went. So Melanie describes the relationship as volatile, very hot and cold, very on and off. Reminds me of Taylor Swift, like we're never ever getting back together. Look what you made me do. Yeah. (laughs) All of the angry songs. They would date, they'd break up, they date, they break up. She describes Bill as very impulsive and that he often would job hop. So move from job to job, but that he was a really hard worker and he constantly made sure that he had another job. So if he'd get a little hot-headed and be like, you know what, F you, I'm going to quit. The next day he would have himself another job. And again, he was very charismatic. He was a good people person. I know people like this. And I would say like at 20 and 28, okay, maybe not 28 so much, but at 20, like this dating on and off kind of hot and cold, that seems par for the course. Like that's how you're learning your boundaries. It's learning like what type of relationship you want to be in. Who you even jibe with. Like who can I actually stand to live with? Absolutely. I know I have been around couples who are like this. Like, and probably dated a few people that are like this I have always said that you'll leave when you're done with the drama like I've I know I have said to guys like you're not done with crazy yet but like let us know when you're done with it and we can all put this period in your life to bed you know I have a feeling that I was the crazy in other people's life like (laughs) you would be in a world where like I was attracted to girls, Carla. You'd be saying that to me. You'd be like, come back to me (laughs) after you're done with your fucking crazy. I mean, to be fair, I would never be described as somebody's crazy. (laughs) Carla. I was just innocent. Uh Sure. We're going to go with with that right there. (laughs) So Melanie, of course, describes herself as a fixer and that Bill was just looking for the right woman to come along and he would settle down and like they could have this perfect life. It doesn't work that it way. It never works that way. Nope. You know, if if some people would 
spend as much time fixing themselves. Like, what could they do? Both of them are very passionate. I'll just throw out, Melanie was a lifelong New Jersey girl. She was going to nursing school and she'd graduate in 1997. Here's an interesting story about Melanie and Bill in the early years of their dating relationship. While she was in nursing school, she begins working at this clinic where they're doing egg donations. And one of the donors comes in and she had this very distinctive name. And she said normally like the, do the donors were normally young. You get paid pretty good amount of money. A couple of weeks later, she finds this name like written with their handwriting and their phone number in Bill's stuff. And oh she's, she's just like, this is like the kind of stuff that she would find but she would turn around and give it right back. So like, what's good for you is good for me. And so she would go find somebody, hook up with them and give him full a taste of his own money. She said she wouldn't even spend a lot of time being angry or upset. She'd just go get even. I think that's kind of an insight to their relationship. So that feels very tit for tat, which might've been kind of hot when they were young. I wonder how that plays out when you get a little older, but okay. okay. Yeah. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I'm not sure it works out. I have no judgment either way. I just, interesting dynamic. So during their dating relationship, Bill got way too many speeding tickets. His ex-wife was removing him from the insurance policy. Bill would get pulled over driving on a suspended license. That was due to points. And due to the severity of the infraction, he would have to go to court with a public defender. At some point, it gets heavy enough that you have to go to court. You need to get a lawyer. Bill delays the court date for as long as he can. Bill convinces Melanie, or maybe she went along with the story, that she was actually the driver of the car. Bill is banking that the police officer will forget or he won't show up. Bill didn't have the greatest relationship with his roommates. And I guess his roommates heard about the story that was going. And his roommate called the prosecutor's office and ratted Bill out. Okay. <laughs> this roommate, A. And I don't disagree with it, like, on its face. He's legit. Bill is legit breaking the law. And he's a big boy. Roommate, you are not his mom. Like, okay. Continue. Yeah, Bill gets prosecuted and he has to go to jail for a few weeks. The roommate says to the prosecutor, Bill is abusive and very controlling and that he's convinced Melanie to do this and to go easy on Melanie. Is the, the roommate trying to suggest that Melanie's just like some simple, cute little woman that doesn't know how to make decisions for herself? It's so hard to parse <laughs> the woman at 50 who is telling her story. You know what? That's fair. To the woman who is 20. This is a 20-year-old, barely woman. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that's fair. That's I would fair. like you to tell... I would love to tell you that, like, the Carla you have today is the Carla that I was at 20. No. I'm not even sure at 30. There was definitely some moments in my early 30s that I put up with some stuff that I would never have put up with later. But yeah. it's no, hard to say... 20-year-old Michael was dumb. 25-year-old Michael was dumb. 30-year-old Michael started getting a brain about it. Yeah. That's fair. Essentially, they each have to go get their own lawyer. Melanie meets with her lawyer, and she's offered pretrial intervention. But she has to give a statement saying she was coerced. Bill would get a felony, but he wouldn't serve any time. And if she did not agree, then she could be looking at a felony. So at this moment in time, she had just graduated nursing school and had her nursing license. Because when Bill gets arrested 
originally, he actually misses her nursing graduation. The prosecution is really pushing her to make a plea. And her lawyer is like, this is the smartest thing for you to do to save yourself. And you could lose your your nursing license. And you, know, you spend a lot of time and hard work that. So Melanie, while she can be dumb, she was not dumb at this moment. And she agrees. She takes the deal. And she's given the pretrial intervention. Bill does get a felony. And Bill felt very betrayed by Melanie. This is why Bill doesn't graduate from, from pharmacy school. Remember when they met, he was in pharmacy school. And he was like in his fifth year. He has to quit pharmacy school and start over with something else. This is a big blow to his ego. And I think it is the beginning of the power control switching, as Melanie would describe. Except for she ain't the one making these bad decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm not driving recklessly. Melanie says this is really when Bill starts going back to Atlantic City a lot. Before, she said it would kind of be recreational. But at this point, he really begins to spend a lot of money and one of the things that they described was getting comped. So when you start to get comped a lot, that means that you're spending a lot of money. Oh, yeah. They ain't comping you nothing. <laughs> right. So he's starting to get comped quite often at these bigger casinos. And he would spend days, sometimes nights there. And remember, like this is like late 90s, early 2000s. So cell phones are not a huge thing. But he would be gone and there would be little or no communication during these trips. Yeah. So he did specialize in the Navy with computers, and that's what he goes back to. So he does get a new job. He picks himself up eventually, and he starts doing computer classes Good and then you, eventually picks up a job there. Yeah. So lo and behold, even though there are glaring red flags, I mean flag on the play, get the fuck out of this relationship, run, do not walk to your closest exit. <laughs> do not pass go. <laughs> she and Bill get married. So a week before their wedding, what? yes, <laughs> let's get married. Like, take me to the chapel. Tit, tit for tat cheating. I don't trust him. He's trying to like <laughs> land me with his gambling debt, all of that. I do. Yeah. <laughs> what? Girl? Hey, this is the greatest relationship. Like, I do you want to get what. married? Yes. This is like one of those, like, she's a little bit young and there's also this comfort level. This is the person that they're used to. That just like... If you are in the relationship with that person, run away. <laughs> Carla and I will help hide you. I'm even wondering, like, from his perspective, like, why would you get married? Like, you're getting to do pretty much whatever you want to. You're going to gambling. You're clearly sleeping with whoever you want to. So, like, why get married? He's creeping up past 30 at this point. Yeah. Biological very. clock starts ticking. We yeah. have that, too. It's different, but we have that, too. Like, just, yeah. Interestingly enough about the biological clock, a week before the wedding, Melanie and Bill would find out that they were pregnant. Told you. <laughs> Called it. Both agreed. They were excited for the baby. First son was born. Both were very in love with the baby boy. I will not name either of their children. No. Um. So, just... Baby boy is as far as we'll go. So during her pregnancy, Melanie does describe it. It's a hard pregnancy. She does have an emergency C-section. And so her and Bill agree, like, they don't want her to have to go through that again. Next year and a half, the relationship seems solid as they're setting their foundation for their little family. She comes from a semi-wealthy family. 
They did get quite a bit of money from their wedding. She also donated some of her eggs at some point before the wedding. And so she did get a check from that as well. Bill, generally a good player and would normally win more than he lost at the end. There were periods where the losses would spiral but with both of them working good and living well within their means, this was money that they felt that they can lose. He begins to go to Atlantic City more often and begins to financially strain them. Gambling was clearly like his numbing mechanism. Yeah. They like had, that's alcohol and cocaine for other people. Right. They had started to put money aside for a down payment of their house. And I think that it was around 30000 that they had put towards that. And that ends up being gambled oh away. Oh my God. Yeah, so it's a, it's I mean it's a good amount. Like you and I kind of talked about it earlier, like thirty thousand compared to like a new car these days. But it is a chunk. That is no. It is not yet a soul crushing amount. But like that is what a fair bit of people leave college with for student loans, right. just gone in the matter of a very short span of time. And if you think like student loans, car, like most of the time people are financing that to like my liquid cash just. Also, you're getting something out of it. Right, you're getting right. getting a usable vehicle. Melanie at this point is a nurse at a fertility clinic, and her clients would describe her as very successful and extremely kind in nature with a great bedside manner in a very sensitive line of work. So even though Bill's initial reluctance, Melanie and Bill, again, like it's just like, yes, let's continue in this relationship that's not perfect, but they decide to have another baby. And Melanie gets pregnant with another baby in May of 2001. But during the pregnancy, the relationship, of course, begins to have more issues because like super great relationship to start with. Um, but in the month leading to the birth of their second son, Melanie begins an intimate relationship with one of the doctors at her office. She was actually his head nurse. And so the doctor's name is Brad Miller. This ends up turning into a long-term affair, both intimately and emotionally. Oh, I was going to say she caught feelings. I think they both did. Brad Miller was also married. So family's very close. The relationship would initially break up. I think it was one of those things kicked off hot and heavy. And she at this point, like if you think when it started, she is nine months pregnant. So they both had to have feelings in order to start a relationship at that moment in their lives. Relationships are complicated. It's not always as easy as it seems. It does seem that, and again, this is Melanie's take on it, but it does seem that Melanie and Bill are having struggles and it doesn't surprise me that this is where it ends up going for either of them, honestly. Melanie describes that like this is the person, to her, Bill is off gambling in Atlantic City. And Brad is the steady person in her life who is doing stuff with her. And her kids are really little at this time. So maybe that's why it's okay to do stuff with the kids. Because at this point, they're like newborn and two years old, one years old and three years old. It's almost like a play date, but for everyone involved, including the adults. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that's what came to mind. Melanie and Bill both say that while they were having an affair and both cared for one another, this wasn't an affair where they planned on leaving their spouse anytime. So like that, they were trying to get to the other side. That, so there was still love within each respective marriage. Yeah, they were content. They wanted to focus on their children being very, and if you think like Melanie had very little young children, she just was unhappy in her marriage, but didn't want to quite leave it yet. Yeah. So the day her son 
was born actually. And again, like I know that we're saying that a lot of this is from Melly's perspective, but there is some proof that not everything about Bill was kind of on the up and up. And this case is actually something that would later be proven. So the day that the second son was born, Bill actually leaves to go to Tennessee under the guise of a business trip and has an affair with a woman there. So I think his affairs compared to Melanie's affairs, his are probably more like one night stands where her is having this intimate and emotional relationship with a person that she works with over a long period of time. Which is interesting, like back to this tit for tat relationship thing, to me, those things feel very, very different. Like for me, one night stand, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be pissed. You going to pay. And did you catch feelings? If the answer is no, like we're probably going to work through it. In my mind, right? You caught feelings like, Mm-mm, I ain't sharing my love. Right. I can get over sharing my bed. I'm not sharing my love. Yeah. I've always said that I don't know what it is about me. I'm probably going to delete this later, but something about me wants to be the greatest love of your life. And any relationship I've ever been in, I'm like, is it that you love me the most more than you've loved anybody else? And maybe at that moment I was. That's always been really important to me because if you don't love me more than you love the person before me, I'm out. And so that's the, pro- I'm the same way. Like one night stand. Physicality I can get past. That is primal, primal human nature. I'm going to make you suffer for a while. But you have an emotional, intimate relationship with somebody that you have caught feelings for. We're going to have some serious problems. Well, and honestly, I'm going to be too hurt to make you suffer. I'm just going to leave and try to start over. Right. That's. I think it's a very valid point. I also think it's a lot what happens. Melanie would tell people about a fight between her and Bill that this is the moment where she knew she should have left and didn't. Bill was working a second job and he would get pulled over. And again, this being pulled over, this would – so his license wasn't quite yet suspended, but this one is going to suspend his license. Girl, like, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that led to a lot of their fighting is Bill, when he was in the Navy and when he was living with his first wife, he, they lived in Virginia and in specifically Virginia Beach. And Bill was always looking to get back there. But Melanie was a New Jersey girl. Her family was there. Her, her very successful job was there. And she didn't want to leave New Jersey. Came home. He was upset because this was her fault because she would not move to Virginia where his friends were, where he wanted to go. And she wanted to stay in New Jersey. And because of that, he had to work two jobs, which is why he got pulled over that night, which would once again suspend his license. Do we know? So what are the nature of his infractions? Like, are these driving recklessly? Is it drunk and disorderly? Like, what what is happening? That's a great question because it actually came up. So he never once has a DUI. It is absolutely speeding tickets and like driving infractions. You're just being stupid, but you're not being, you're not putting other people's lives at risk necessarily. It's interesting about the DUI because in this telling, even from her perspective, alcohol doesn't seem, which is crazy to me, but alcohol does not seem to be a contributing factor to the issues in their life. And I would have imagined that alcohol would be because of the casinos. The gambling. That's exactly exactly the, where I went. You, you get know, things free, like that. air quotes, alcohol yeah. when you're gambling thousands of dollars away. So it does make me wonder if there were other things, Coke for one, could be a thing that maybe possibly both people were participating in. 
And so either it wasn't something that you want to talk about Bill doing something illicit because you yourself might be doing it as well. That's a really interesting point. Like you can't incriminate his character to the degree that you want to because he would also criminate yours, honey. <laughs> like, yeah, and I think about like maybe in 2023 it wouldn't be a big thing if they were admitting to drinking or doing something like doing some types of drugs or things like that. But again, like this is 2001, 2002. We were living in a vastly different world for drugs and things like that. But I would be shocked to find out that there wasn't Coke or weed or alcohol or something else there but he did never get he never got a dui never have i ever heard of someone having a deep gambling problem that did not include some sort of extracurricular substance yeah agree could be wrong listeners give us examples i'm willing to be wrong (laughs) no judgment but never have i ever heard of that yeah so in this fight, she says that Bill threatened to kill her that night. And she did leave. She took both children, got in the car, left. And later, she returned to the home. Like, drove around for a few hours, calmed down, talked to her mom. Didn't tell her mom, like, the extent of the fight, just that they had a fight. Her mom tells her, you have two small children, you need to go home. Didn't tell anybody about the fight. So there's no one who can say, no yes. can corroborate. Right, that. this right. happened. After this fight, again, the resentment begins to take ground. This seed is planted. It's settled. Both of them are starting to have issues, and you're going to see this like a volcano coming close to eruption. So 2002, they move to a bigger townhome, and Melanie says that the fights between them began to escalate, both choking her, pushing her, and one where he shoved a dryer sheet in her mouth. So let me just talk about the dryer sheet. I have never heard of this in my life. And maybe it's because I was raised by a mom who worked full-time, was in the Navy. But I didn't know that dryer sheets made people lazy. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. We're literally, so my office is combined with a laundry room. And there's literally a package of dryer sheets right there. And I promise you, I'm so meticulous about my laundry. Like, separate whites and colors of all these different treatments and cycles. Like, I don't understand this. I've also put fabric softener and a dryer sheet before. If you want it real soft, if it's a load of blankets, that's what you do in. I don't understand. (laughs) According to Melanie, Bill felt that the dryer sheets were very lazy And that someone should be able to walk over to the washer and put in liquid fabric softeners. This is the, I almost have to call shenanigans on I mean, it just feels a little ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, like who the hell cares about dryer sheets? But also, on the other hand, while I want to call this absolute bullshit, this is a made up story. It's also so specific that it feels like it has to ring true. Who would make that up? I... I just never, someone who feels at least the dryer sheets are lazy. Also someone that's trying to maybe abscond from guilt. I'll just throw it out there. The dryer sheet fight. It's weird. Also though, domestic fights, you and I have talked about this too. The things that drive me crazy about Thomas from someone else. If you did the same thing that drives me crazy about Thomas, I'd probably like, meh. Yeah. But- I don't live with you 24-7. I live with him 24-7, yeah, right? So for just, sure. The things that break you at that point are different, I suppose. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Chris yeah. has murdered me for not putting my shoes up. If I'm dead and it's him that did it, it's because 
my shoes or wherever I decide to put them. I know that it is only Wednesday, but there have been three occasions this week already where Thomas has helped, had to help me find my keys. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure that if he could have murdered me in the process of helping me find my keys, he would have. It's not entirely ridiculous. It just feels... It feels like something's off there to me. Atlantic City continues to be an issue. But at one point, he even gets another full-time job in order to help pay some of the rising gambling debts. They're not underwater gambling debts. Like, people would say when they would look at their finances later, but he has to go get a second job. And again, like, Bill is a hustler. He is a hard worker. During this whole time, Melanie continues to see Brad Miller during this time. Bill and Melanie begin to search for a house. They are officially ready to move out of the townhouse. They find a big house in Warren County in New Jersey. It's on a two-acre lot, and it was a good-sized house. It was a little outside of their financial means, and part of that meant that financing the house began to be an issue. They did not secure financing until the day before their closing. Melanie says that she was okay with spending more money, really, than at first she was comfortable Because to her, this money would be put towards something for their future, something tangible. And it would lock it up so that her husband could not go and gamble it away. That was literally my thought was like mortgage debt is so different than regular debt. Right. Because it's it's equity, like the cost of homes over time goes up. So it's like you're actually putting it in this like secret squirrel savings account where he doesn't have it available to him liquid. So interesting thought from her. Closing was set for April 28th, 2004. And dates become to get really important. So I'll try to say it a couple of times. The closing of this house would be the last positive sighting of Bill McGuire on April 28th. So from here... Dang, Melanie, you took care of it real quick. Yeah, it, it is interesting... <laughs> That that timing, that's interesting. He made it to the closing of the house. So that's the hard part for me is that like supposedly Melanie will say that this is the house that Bill wanted. He wanted this big house. His parents had both passed away. This was what he was looking for. And he would get it and he still wouldn't be happy. The new house that they had just bought, the owners would have it for another week. They would return to their current townhouse and finish packing up. And she says everything was in boxes. They had boxes packed up, suitcase bags up, garbage bags packed up, essentially pretty much packing up their whole life waiting in order to move in the next week. Yeah. And they put the boys down and they fall asleep. And they have some champagne, some congratulatory wine, and they both fall asleep on the couch and they wake up around 2 a.m. And probably like most moms, wives, Melanie gets up, Bill gets up and she begins to tidy up. And she says to Bill, like, isn't it so nice to like finally have the house of your dreams? Like you've been really wanting this. And Bill says, no, I settled for this home. I settled for living in New Jersey. I wanted to live in Virginia Beach, but you won't move. And this house isn't worth the money that we paid for it. They go back and forth for a while and she's putting away laundry and they're kind of yelling out and... What pops up in a laundry basket? A fucking dryer sheet. A fucking dryer sheet. And so Bill, like this just sets Bill off. And he... This just feels so implausible. It's it's just really... It is such a strange... I mean, this is making him feel like... Did you ever see that movie with Julia Roberts sleeping with the enemy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a caricature of a movie villain 
someone that freaks out over the towels not being perfectly aligned or the cans not being in a row in the pantry or... Oh, yeah, you're married to that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, no, but like, is he shoving dryer sheets in your mouth? Is he throwing those cans at your head? Like, come on. No, <laughs> it is very weird, but... I also just like, so far, Bill's attitude towards this is really interesting, cavalier, and a little bit flippant. Like, I had to settle. Bitch, you had to settle because you couldn't hold down the job that you were going to school for because you couldn't drive like an adult. Part of this takes some ownership already. So there is a part of me, like I'm skeptical of Melanie so far, but I'm also sympathizing with her just a little bit. I'm getting this stuff laid at my feet when I'm the younger party here who's managed to actually keep my life together and finish my schooling and not get a thousand traffic infractions that have had my license suspended. Like seven times. Her recounting of his reaction seems really extreme. At the same time, I feel her frustration. Yeah, it also, it sounds like bullshit, but also it's so specific. I mean, I can tell a good story. I don't know that I could have ever... I never I would know. think of that in a million years. You could have just kept going with, I'm not happy now yes. when I live in Virginia Beach. 100%. I would have bought that. Way, the dryer sheet, I was like, what? Well, but sometimes that's the hallmark of a liar, though, is that specificity. Like, they've overthought those details. So it's just, mm. it's just interesting. It keeps nagging at my mind what's there. They get in a fight about this dryer sheet. It gets physical. He slaps her. And one of the children wake up. And he shoves the dryer sheet in her mouth again. Melanie gets loose. She grabs the baby. She locks herself in the bathroom. According to her, Bill packs up and is continuing to berate her, screaming, saying he's leaving. Good luck paying for the house. She can explain to the kids why they don't have a father. Melanie wants us to know that, like, it's noteworthy to add that this is what Bill did to his first wife when he left. Reaction. Screaming, packing up everything, and being gone is exactly what he did to his first wife. Packing really should have been pretty easy. Most of their stuff was already in bags. It was probably already, for the most part, in suitcases. Yeah. She says that she is picturing from inside the bathroom. He's putting his shit together, and he leaves. A neighbor will recall hearing the fight, but she couldn't remember the exact day, and it's important to remember later on. She heard a fight, but she didn't hear anything else. She says as soon as Bill leaves, like, she picks up and she leaves. She's done. And she goes to her parents' house, and the next morning after the fight, she really is ready to just move on. She said that this was really her breaking point, and she asks Brad Miller if he can write her a prescription for Xanax. And so, according to Melanie, she has never taken Xanax. And she takes the kids to daycare, and she's talking to the daycare and asking them, What can she do to block Bill from picking up the children? The daycare says you need to file a restraining order. She goes to court to attempt to file a restraining order, but due to the long line, she abandons it. Has he, like, I'm trying not to hate, I try to play devil's advocate. Yeah. Why are you trying to file a restraining order? Like, is that just for her? Is it for the kids too? We haven't heard anything up to this point about any violence that he has ever portrayed to his kids. Like, I just, like, why is she... Something feels fishy there. Do we know of any violence that he's had toward the kids? So, no, none towards the kids. Okay, that's fair. I do think that this is her blocking. I think this goes back to their tit for tat. Like, doesn't it? It feels You left these kids. You left me. I'm going to block them from you. So whether or not she was truly scared or anything like that, I do think that the restraining order was both because of the physicality of what happened the night before but also 
to stop him from being able to take those kids. It's retaliatory. 100. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It does feel a little bit that way. Okay. So, line. This happened to the same thing with Lorena Bobbitt. She went to go get the restraining order. The line was too long. She abandoned the line. You guys, if you need to go get a restraining order, wait in line. It's clearly not working out for people to abandon the line. That's right. Stay in the line. So she abandons the line. She's like, you know what? I'm going to come back the next day. She calls a lawyer and begins to talk to a lawyer about divorce and what that would look like. She cancels her kids' appointments just so she can avoid them in case he were to show up there. Bill had taken off the next few weeks from work due to the move because, you know, they just closed on a house the day before. Same thing for Melanie. So they're both off. The night of the 29th, one day after the closing, Okay. Melanie takes the kids to her parents and she checks into the Red Roof, the Red Roof Inn, close to the courtroom so that in the morning she could go straight there and get in line to file that restraining order. So she says that she starts calling friends and she's venting. She's very upset. She took the Xanax and I guess she ended up racking up like an $800 cell phone bill, which seems of the times of 2004 where you had cell phone minute limits. Um, So she said that she's getting more and more upset and she is upset because of what happened. She's upset that it's been 24 hours and she hasn't heard from him, like not an apology It doesn't appear that he has showed up anywhere. And she begins to think that he's in Atlantic City, like living it up, gambling, maybe with somebody else, and that he is exactly who she thought he was. So she gets worked up. And this is the other sketchy thing that Melanie does to me that doesn't make exact sense. Melanie drives to Atlantic City because she's like, you know what? I just need to go see if he's there. I need one more proof that he is who he is. Isn't it Maya Angelou that says if if they show you who they are, believe them? Believe them. Right. You do not need to go to Atlantic City. You already know who he is. Why? Also, why are you letting him rule your story? At this point, he is renting real estate in your brain for free. Right. For free. But she does. She needs to go to Atlantic City, and lo and behold, she's driving along. Isn't she already wanting to leave him? Like, what? why do you care? Why do you care what this guy that you've already said in your head has bad behavior? Why do you care what he's doing? This is a toxic relationship. Like, you cannot make it oh make sense. Oh, my God. And it's not even like the Lorena and John Bobbitt where, like, one of them is holding something over the— There is no citizenship at stake here. Right. Right? Like— he even than, said, you can have, you take the kids, you can explain to them why they don't have a father. She wasn't thinking logically at this point. You were in the midst of this emotional turmoil. But if you're thinking about this logically and you're watching this all play out in hindsight, like all of this should be proof positive to you that you've made the right decision. If he did in fact go off to Atlantic City, guess what? You made the right decision by filing a restraining order and getting out of that situation. Yeah. Why are you trying to get back in it? It does Why? Make it make sense. Make it make sense. And I'm not I'm not trying to knock on Melanie too hard. It just it is also interesting looking at this. You can tell from some of her actions in the situations that she is the younger party. These are one hundred percent the actions of someone that hasn't come into themselves quite as much yet. She is driving along Atlantic City and comes past a casino that Bill normally frequented and she can see his car on the side of the road or in the parking lot and she has a key to it, an extra key. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go move it. I'm going to go move your car to some sleazy hotel. Right back to that tit for tat. Yeah. While I do really question this story, 
from listening to her explain for hours and hours, like this 100% seems like Melanie. Fuck you. I'm going to go move your car to this sleazy hotel and you can figure it out with whoever you're with or whatever you're doing. She takes the car and I've never been to Atlantic City, but this hotel is called the Flamingo. And so she moves it to the Flamingo and then she decides, you know what? I am exhausted. Like I've been on the Xanax. I don't feel like I need to drive from Atlantic City to where she lived in New Jersey. It's about an hour and a half. And so she decides to get a cab and to drive her that hour and a half back home. And she's just going to leave her car at the casino where she found Bill's car originally. Okay. I know. Go with me for a second. It would have been cheaper for her to stay in Atlantic City for a night. Why would you not just get a hotel room? You can get a hotel room probably at that time for what, like 80 bucks a night? And instead you're going to pay maybe hundreds, plural of dollars to get a cab to drive you an hour and a half? I think it was like 150 or $200. But her story is she gets in this cab and she goes back to the Red Roof Inn where close to this courthouse. She sleeps a little bit on the car ride. She relaxes. She said she gets back to her hotel and she starts to freak out because what am I going to do about my car in the morning? I have to go to court. I'm going to eventually have to go get my kids from daycare. I don't want to have to tell anybody what I just did because I'm ashamed of what I just did. I'm getting a restraining order. No one's going to understand what I just did. I don't understand it, Melanie. Right. (laughs) So she's like, you know what? This cab has to go back to where he came from. So I will take a cab all the way back to Atlantic City and get my car. There isn't enough blinking in the world that my eyes can do. It's another one of those things, though, kind of like the dryer sheet detail, where it's just detailed and ridiculous enough that maybe it's true. I think if this wasn't a true crime story, and we know that it doesn't end well, and they live great, they get some therapy, and everything turns out well, I could believe that she went to Atlantic City and moved his car. But because... stories like we're not we're not telling any good stories so there's no happy endings in most of the stories we're telling that's right if that weren't the circumstance of what the future happens then okay i could understand that but because he ends up dead it makes it harder to believe but again it's like it's ridiculous enough and specific enough right even the idea of this is the cabbie that i took there i felt this layer of guilt which all of us have had that immediate feeling after we did something really emotional where you're just like, oh, shit, my logic just kicked back in. And I I just messed some stuff up. And I need to try to make it right somehow. I think there's no dispute about did Melanie go back and forth to Atlantic City. Like, we believe that she did. There is some evidence that shows that she did. What is the evidence? What is that look So like? there is a video of her pulling into one of the parking lots that she went to. I think it's the first casino that she was at. And... It's so we know grainy. she was actually there. So we do know that she was actually there. She got there, there somehow. Yeah. They never found the cab driver. That was going to be my next question. The question following that is, what do we know about Brad during this time frame, right? Is he a potential ride so, from? So at first they did question Brad and her dad too. Okay. So her dad that's, ends that's up playing. So both good seem policing. to have, Thank yeah, you. <laughs> both seem to have solid alibis for okay. where they were during this time. And it does seem like she did rent a hotel close to the courtroom. She does get a restraining order the next day. Okay. Those are things we do see her in a parking lot in a, in Atlantic City. 
We don't, however, there. what's so weird about the flamingo where she parks the car and where she pick, gets picked up in a cab is there is no videotape for that seven days around like this happening. There are some theories about possibly why this could be missing. Now, Melanie wasn't friends with whoever worked in the security system at the Flamingo. So it is very unlikely that Melanie is the reason for why this could be completely anonymous. It's just interesting that the seven, that the, the day that you need the tape to show Melanie getting in a cab, like those types of things, to, that there's no video evidence of that portion of it. That is not reasonable right to believe that's just happenstance no like why would it be gone here's what happens next she gets back to her car she drives back to new jersey melanie did have an easy pass on her car but she removed it on her way to atlantic city and on her way back from atlantic city why so according to her that it's to have like plausible deniability that she moved Bill's car. I know. I know. I'm, uh, I'm with you. I told you, like, this whole Atlantic City thing, it's very... This is... Scott Peterson. I'm struggling so much, too, because I'm used to, in most of our stories, like, in this scenario, the guy would be the villain and the woman the victim. And so when it's flipped on its head like this and you see some of the, I, I think, reasonably suspicious activity coming from... Our, our female counterpart, the mother of these children and all of that. My skepticism is through the roof. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that I feel like she, like, cold-blooded killed him either. Right. Some of this feels sus. It feels too pieced together. Yeah, we have to explain some of this stuff because we want to make sure that, like, we have talked about why it feels weird. Yeah. We're only hearing this for one person's perspective to give bill the opportunity that like okay here's one way to look at it here's another way to look at it so we're going to spend some time over some of these things to see does it really ring true what makes the most common sense and i mean this so so far like if i'm understanding in like quick recap right we have this altercation that has gotten physical that has finally pushed this relationship that was already teetering over the edge right this guy is literally shoving shit in your mouth slapping you shoving you to the point where you're like i need to get out of this yeah so far i'm tracking like i have questions about some of their choices along the way but i'm tracking yep so then you've made this decision you begin stewing on it so much that you are willing to make an hour and a half trip at night by yourself in such a way that feels very intentional you're removing an easy like i we have an easy pass right you i can't just put this in my console half the time it's still going to register she had to remove that shit from her car to guarantee that she wasn't getting charged yeah you go all the way in the middle of the night on some sort of vindictive ploy to prove what you already know is true in your head according to your own story you move his car to some skanky hotel in some tit-for-tat scam. You get some random cabbie. You convince him by what I can only imagine is through unseemly means <laughs> to drive you an hour and a half back to your home 
only to arrive there and feel so guilt-ridden over what you just did to the jackass that slapped you around in the same house as your children, so much so that you go back? To, yeah, to get all, all while needing to get back to court the next, the next day. day. Right. Carla, like... Plus, we think again, like... <laughs> like this feels like a cartoon. <laughs> like, a, I just need to find out, like... Like, am I missing that? Like, what? No, you have summarized it perfectly. It doesn't make sense, but I think it's like one of those things like, here we are. Like, this, it doesn't make sense. I'm rolling. I'm caught up. Okay. So the next, I just, Atlantic City, like, Melanie cannot stay away. (laughs) So the next day, she gets home. It's not even that nice. Have you all been to Atlantic City? It's not that great. I've never been. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's like a rundown version of Vegas. (laughs) Melanie is getting antsy the next day, and she wants to see if Bill has discovered her car. So Melanie's talking to her dad, and he's like, you're not going by yourself. Like, that's crazy. Because he doesn't know that she already did it. So she's, you're right. It is crazy. Yeah. I guess she's convincing him, like, she just wants to drive through Atlantic City and see if he's there. He's probably like, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. But if you're going to go, I'm going to go. This is 100% like something my dad would do. He'd my be parents like, would too. They'd be like, this is you. insane. But if you're going to do it, you're yeah. not doing it alone. And according to Melanie, she never told her dad that she had moved the car, just that she was going to look for Bill. Apparently, somewhere in her Xanax-filled night the night before, she forgot where she actually parked the car. She says that she didn't remember that it was the Flamingo and so never found the car. Okay, if we don't believe Melanie, Melanie is setting herself up for really selling the story that she's laying out. If we believe Melanie... She's involved in a very toxic relationship and this tit for tat and this need to continuously be very, this level of pettiness, Mm. I can understand. Like at this level of toxicity, at this level of pettiness, I can, from there, really like after that, like she really does try to start moving on with her life. She changes her beneficiaries at work. Good girl, Mallory. She looks for another apartment. She looks to sell her furniture. These are logical behaviors. Yes. She wants to start a new life with her kids. So within a couple of days, she decides that she's going to go to Delaware and she, I guess, has this like really nice antique furniture. And she heads off early in the morning and her mom is and dad take the kids to daycare that morning. And she heads off and goes to Delaware and she gets to the store and realizes that the store hasn't opened. And while she's waiting for it to open, Brad calls her and he's like, oh, it's so, you know, it's just a normal Tuesday. And she's, oh my God, Tuesday, I have lunch with my best friend in New York. And this is her best friend who she really leans on. Her friend also gives her money to help her out financially and things like that. And she's like, I really need to meet with my friend. So I'm going to abandon this whole selling my furniture and I'm going to go drive to New York. So she does. She goes to meet with her friend and her friend actually, her friend Celine, and her friend gives her a check for a few thousand dollars to help her with the new apartment and just essentially moving on with her life. Celine is a very good and a lifelong friend of hers. For anyone too that is feeling a little weird, because I did it first when you were saying this and I had to remind myself from living up there, all of those states are very, very tightly packed. It was completely reasonable for me to get from DC to New York when I lived up there in just a few hours. It's important to note that like the reason we bring up this story is because according to later the prosecution, and we can talk about it and bring it back up, but like 
later to the prosecution, Melanie doesn't go to Delaware. That actually the night before, she drives to Virginia Beach and dumps Bill's body and then drives straight from Virginia Beach to New York to meet her friend for lunch. And Delaware is a lie. Now, her mom would say, absolutely not. She was there that morning. We talked about her going furniture shopping. She then left that morning because she could not have been in all of these places at the same time. Because Virginia Beach from there, that is, I mean, not an in impossible haul, but that is a long haul. Right. Yeah. And so like while there's no like evidence that she was in Delaware, there's also no evidence that she was in Virginia. There is evidence that she was in New York at lunch having lunch with her best friend, Celine, because she pays the bill well, for lunch. And to, okay. So that's interesting. Well, and then the- two And her are... easy pass is back in her car and goes off. Well, and just to your point earlier, the logical explanation here, knowing where they are, like Virginia Beach, that's a hall. It's yeah. It's just a hall. Yeah. So we'll talk about it later as we get into the trial thing, but like yeah. just to help add some context of why this comes up and is important. It's been a couple of weeks and Melanie hears from Bill's boss and who reports that Bill did not return to work. And so at this point, Melanie is now concerned, right? In the weeks leading up to it, he was on vacation. He could be doing whatever. It's not a big deal. But like now he hasn't showed up for work. And we already know that like he is a hard He's a worker, hustler. That's right. Right. So he would have showed back up. So she does begin concerned. Melanie and her father take another drive to Atlantic City because now she's concerned. And she still cannot remember where the hotel is that she parked. But also, even if she had remembered, the car had already been towed at this point in time. So the car is gone from the Flamingo. But they do go back to Atlantic City again. And this is documented. So the two times that she goes to Atlantic City with her dad, her dad's easy pass picks it up. Like, what dose of Xanax was she on to make her forget this? I did look it up in the background, by the way. Oh, okay. Barbiturates famous for memory loss while they're in your system. Really? I've never okay. had that experience. Like, not to be fair, I haven't taken a ton of Xanax or Valium in my life. Yeah. I've never experienced the memory loss, but apparently that is super common. Okay, so that tends to be more common in high doses, though. So it's like, what dose did you take that, Yeah, like, maybe you took a high, or you just, took multiples? Maybe? Yeah. Anyway, okay. car's not there. Yeah, but that's good, though. That rings, that could be true. If we believe her story... It is within a Backed plausible- up multiple sources, including like Mayo Clinic. That is a plausible explanation. Melanie speaks with Bill's friend, John Rice, and lets him know that like, hey, Bill hasn't been heard from. She also hears from his sister because his sister calls and Bill's sister. She's a real estate agent. Like, how did the closing go? Because they just closed on this big house. She's like, I never heard I from Bill about, about how that. it went. Oh my God. Yeah. Melanie tells her what happened, that they had a big fight. And essentially, according to Melanie, they commiserate over this very volatile relationship that Melanie and Bill have. And Cindy makes a statement to her like, I'm surprised that you guys have lasted this long. I'm surprised you've stuck around for this long. And like, no big deal. So his sister knows. Obviously, Melanie knows. His boss knows. And now his friend knows. No one ever reports Bill missing to the police. So there's never a missing person. Not by Melanie, not by his boss, not by his best friend, and not by his sister. That's an interesting detail. Like, was behavior 
that was this volatile so commonplace that this wasn't yet of concern to them? Was it literally, you know, the gambling thing, right? Is it so common for him to go down one of these rabbit holes that, oh, it's only been a couple of days. That That's just an interesting detail. Yeah. Well, in this point, it's been a few weeks because the day of the closing, we know like timeline week starts before then. Almost a month after he's been gone. So oh my God. May 26th. Melanie receives a phone call from her parents. The police need to speak with her. So she goes to the police station with her dad, and the officer informs her that her husband had passed away in Virginia and that the VA police would be letting her know, like, what happened. He, they would be contacting. So Virginia police inform her that it doesn't appear that Bill suffered, but that it was a homicide. And essentially, like, they gave very little information outside of that. It's interesting that they just said, like, it was a homicide and really did not say anything else from that. There's a lot of media coverage on the discovery of Bill's body. So unbeknownst to Melanie and her family and everybody else, behind the scenes in Virginia Beach, there are suitcases that are showing up. And actually, Melanie would later learn from media coverage that was being picked up, like on a national level, that the body had been cut up and found over multiple days. Jesus. The body discovery happens like this. First body parts were found in a Kenneth Cole suitcase on May 5th along the beach, and it contained a pair of legs. Six days later, May 11th, a larger suitcase found floating in the Chesapeake Bay. So it's all like the same thing, Chesapeake Bay, Virginia Beach, like they're all interchangeable. Um, This would contain the torso and the head, and it would have a bullet wound in both the chest and the head. May 16th, the final suitcase, which is the smallest, would be found again on the beach, and this would have the arms. So once the head is found, they're able to release a sketch And John Rice's wife actually sees the sketch and is like, that looks like Bill McGuire. Like, that looks like our friend. And so they are the ones who call the police and say, hey, I think that's our friend who's missing from New Jersey. They release the sketch on the 21st and Melanie is notified on the 26th. They're able to do fingerprints. And of course, Bill is in the system. So they're able to do the fingerprints And I believe that John did a, like, recognition of the body. It's not long after this that the police soon begin to investigate and interrogate and question Melanie. And, of course, just like with any case, you always look at the family first. You look at the husband or the wife in this situation. And so Melanie consented to talk with the police and only had her divorce attorney present rather than proper legal representation which again, you guys, don't talk to a lawyer. She tells them about the state of their marriage, the problems that they're having. Something that she leaves out is regarding her affair. She also leaves details out that Bill and her owned a gun. A few years ago, Bill asks her to purchase a gun. And apparently because he has a felony, Melanie has to do that. We also know that Melanie has a track record of doing things for Bill. And there is a person who will testify, but isn't allowed to testify that Bill did want to get a gun. So whether or not this rings true or not, or is true, but 
according to Melanie, she essentially got the gun, gave it to Bill, doesn't know what happened with it after that. Like, never even thought about it again. But it's something that she doesn't bring up to the police. It's also something that they didn't ask about. So to her, she's like, no big deal. She has no burden of proof to... Right. That's right. Leaves that out. They ask her about the suitcases. And Melanie's like... They're Kenneth Cole suitcases. Maybe they belong to us. Maybe they didn't. I honestly... Go to any TJ Maxx in this country right. still today in 2023, and you will find some Kenneth, Kenneth Cole. Yeah. <laughs> she gives consent to search the house, both the cars, the storage unit, the townhome, the new home. Search whatever you want to do. And essentially, nothing really appears with that. There's a couple of things that later come from his car, but they're very minimal. And so we'll talk about that when we talk about the trial. Melanie arranges Bill's funeral. It's a very straightforward service. She has him cremated, military service. There's a big contention about Melanie not having children at the funeral service. It's important to remember her children were two and four. I would also argue that a two and a four-year-old. Yeah, how are they even probably processing don't that? belong? And if you're dragging them to their is that for you or is that for them? Yeah. So I I don't know. That doesn't feel unreasonable to me. That's not incriminating. Yeah. So really from here, it starts to move a little bit faster. It's kind of really the heart of the story. And again, at this point, we've really heard a lot from Melanie's perspective. And I'll give you a little bit of perspective from the prosecution on what they think happened. The next year just continues on. So Melanie is living her life. She got a new apartment. Her and the kids are doing good. The police are continuing to investigate Melanie and they talk with many people in her life, including Brad Miller, who they convince and able in order to make sure that he is innocent. They are like, hey, if you're innocent, you didn't have anything to do with this, then start recording your conversations. That's right. Brad agrees and begins to do this. On June 2nd, 2005, Melanie is arrested for the murder of Bill McGuire. Interestingly enough, that New Jersey did take jurisdiction from Virginia Beach. And so these charges did come from New Jersey. Melanie happened to be at the daycare dropping her kids off oh, and come out and is arrested. Bail sat at 750000 Her parents. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's big. Her parents were able to make the bail. But what happened <laughs> that night but she apparently did come for money. What's interesting what happens is instead of being bailed out, even though they had posted her bail, the state of New Jersey could not prove that she had a passport. Apparently there's some type of like paperwork, clerical error that is keeping Melanie in jail that night. Interesting what happens, CPS also at the same time receives some allegations of abuse for Melanie's children, both by Melanie and by her elderly parents yep and so while melanie is sitting in jail for one more night before she's released on bail cps shows up at her parents house at midnight and drags her two and four year old or excuse me at this point they're five and three out of bed at midnight that is a convenient detail yeah it's super shitty you can tell that prosecution and cps must clearly be working hand in hand and the children are placed with cindy bill's sister okay so at least it's with family yeah at least it's with family melanie says that at this point in time she is now fighting on two fronts both in family court to get access to her children she never regains custody of her boys she is allowed supervised visitation only after eight months of not being able to see her kids but she never during the course of her preparing for murder trial while she is innocent until proven guilty 
She is not allowed to have her kids, even though there is n- the allegation of abuse is completely dropped. It so, is simply waiting for this murder trial. This is the kind of thing, and it's why it's so important that, because I know we've harped on it in previous episodes, yeah. like our system is important. That should not have happened. She was guilty of nothing yet. You should not have your children taken away. I have so many opinions about Melanie right now, but that's really fucking shady on yeah. the state's part. I don't like that at all. It really does. And it doesn't sit well with me. Again, because you are... Once she's convicted, do what you need to do. Yeah, do whatever. And there's so many cases where bad... People who are clearly guilty are still being able to keep a hold of their that's children it. until they are fully arrested and cannot bail out. I Child Protective Services come and take them in the middle of the night. This is convenient. Yeah, it never happens. So trial begins early 2007. So almost three years later, again, like the justice moves so slow. The Mm. way that the prosecution lays out what happened to Bill, they close on the house. They come home at night. After they put the kids down, him and Melanie have drinks. They believe that Melanie drugged Bill, shot him both in the chest, in the head, With that gun that she didn't claim to know where it was. With the gun that she didn't claim to know where. And the gun is consistent with the wound and the type of gun that would have been used. But But, I was going to say that. I saw the butt. (laughs) Yeah, it's a thirty-eight. It's a very common common gun. And then from what we understand, the bullet is not an exact match. It has something to do with the striations that, like, the one that he was shot with was a five, but, like, what they had was a six. So I don't... It was close. It wasn't identical. Right. It was close. It was not identical. It's not a... It's not an even for Steven match. The other thing that's important to remember, remember that neighbor who said that she thought she heard fighting that night, but she didn't hear anything else? Like, they're in a townhome. No one hears... A gun... A gunshot. Multiple gunshots. Right. Two gunshots. And then not only that, but, like, he would have then have to be dismembered and placed in suitcases. That is a very, very bloody scene that would have had transpired. And again, like, they're at the house. We know that they're at their house because the kids are in bed. So, like... And the kids didn't hear that? They weren't awoken by this? Yeah, well, I mean, you imagine, like, you're having to use... I mean, I'm not trying to be graphic, but you're using... You've got to use power tools, in order to dismember a human body. Yeah, I don't care if you've had medical training or not. Like, right. coroner uses... Like, and the other thing about the body and the way that it was dismembered, like, people would say, experts would say later that this isn't even sufficient ways to dismember the body. That it is would have been hard to do for one person to do. So that it would have taken Melanie an incredible amount of time. The other thing is that the defense argues that even if... She did all of that. Like, how was she able to throw the suitcases over the bridge? She just was too small. It would have weighed too much. And again, we know the timeline from the next day because we feel pretty confident. We know that the next night she was in Atlantic City. So they believe that when she went to Delaware, you know, quote unquote, is really when she had been driving to Virginia. So even the timeline doesn't quite fully add up as far as when it go. And I'm still hooked on this bullet thing, too. I mean, this is bullet striations from what I understand. I'm not an expert. So yeah. people that are more of an expert call us on this. But my understanding is that it's like it's like a fingerprint for that gun. It's the same thing as them being able to identify what printer a piece of paper came out of. Because 
each printer leaves some sort of unique mark. I get it, it's close, but that still feels significant to me that it wasn't a match. Like, realistically, in something, unless something happened to the barrel of that gun, it should consistently leave the same marks on every bullet that leaves its chamber. And so it didn't make sense to me, and it didn't feel like it was strong evidence. One expert said one thing, and the next expert said the other thing. And so then it was which one came off as more believable. Yeah, we saw that in a few cases. The other thing that felt like junk science was the garbage bag. So he was in placed in black garbage bags inside these suitcases. And one expert would testify that those garbage bags match what were in the kitchen. And Melanie kind of was like, well, maybe they are. Because, like, maybe Bill had them in his car. Like, we had bags. We had all sorts of things that we were in the middle of moving. We were packing stuff up. He could have had bags in his car that possibly somebody could have used if they murdered him in Atlantic City. She's trying to say, like, I didn't do it. But also, maybe that's how they showed up. That just, that doesn't feel very strong either. It doesn't feel not significant, but it doesn't feel super strong. Yeah. The other expert would say that's junk science. There's like, you can't look at that information. That's not how you analyze it. How many people in this neighborhood have hefty garbage bags? Yeah. Come on. She said you can't tell, oh, that's the same garbage bag as what's in the kitchen. So again, it's one expert over the other thing. The other thing that happens is we talked about that Brad was starting to record Melanie. Unlike Scott Peterson... Melanie doesn't say anything that makes her look guilty. She consistently says in their very intimate secret recordings that she had nothing to do with this. And he's begging her, like, Melanie, I'm freaking out. I think you should tell me. Let me help you. Things like that. Because they're continuing on with their relationship. And he, of course, is secretly recording her. But never once does she break and say, oh, I did something to him. She continues with her story. For whatever that's worth. The defense really plays out who else could have killed Bill. They talk a lot about the fact that Bill was in gambling debts. He was in Atlantic City, that he had been involved with people there, possibly who could be associated with the mob. So they also felt, they even there's this quote too, like what happens when you mess with the mob? You get shot here and here, pointing to his head and to his chest, that the hit felt very in line with the Sopranos, which was like a top hit show. In fact, where they lived in New Jersey is like where The Sopranos was filmed. It felt very in line to to that type of a murder. They really pushed all the other people in Bill's life that could possibly do this to him, that he did in fact go to Atlantic City and that somebody ran into him there murdered him and drove him to Virginia Beach and threw him off the bridge. On April 23rd, 2007, would be found guilty of first-degree murder, along with many other charges that were tacked on throughout the years. On July 19th, 2007, she was sentenced to life in prison and would have to serve at least 63 years before she can get out. That would make her somewhere close to 90 before she could be eligible. And she, at this time, has appealed it a few times in her last appeal in 2014, and everything so far would be denied. I said in the very beginning, there was these two podcasters, or their professors, who looked at this. And at the end, they came out and said, look, in the very beginning, we thought Melanie was dead guilty. I mean, you've heard my skepticism. Yeah. I was very skeptical, honestly, through i'm not convinced that she did it i also feel like there are some sketchy things in here 100 percent. but one of the things that the 
professors said is they felt that really somebody in Atlantic City was involved in this murder that had access to professional meat cutting devices or machines that could very easily dismember a body without harm. The suitcases were in the car, just like Melanie said. The garbage bags were in the car. They used what they had. Melody moved the car. Like all of this coincidences all fell to it. They did not believe that she was big enough to even throw. And they felt like even at best, she did not commit the murder. Possibly did she hire someone to do it? Maybe. But they felt at the end of the day, she did not actually commit the murder. I don't know. There's a part of me that can see that she tells a very convincing story. She does have a story for everything. That is the hallmark of a good liar, right? Is you have some of these extraneous details. Yes. And she was pretty open. Like she talked about like the whole bill stuff. I know that can't be easy to describe. I know it can't be easy to put on the public. Like I had this affair when I was nine months pregnant and things like that. But I felt like she was pretty honest with some of the details that probably did not paint her in the best of light. Michael, what do you think? My gut tells me they might have gotten it wrong. Like, what you described, literally before you said it from the professors, was what was going through my head. This is a guy, and I know they haven't mentioned drugs, and I think in my mind that is likely because Melanie also partook. Right. Right. And, I mean, they're young. They're in this, like, crazy emotional relationship that jibes with me. You couldn't talk about his drug use without incriminating yourself. Right. So you just didn't talk about it. Yep. And quite frankly, it might not have had anything to do with it to begin with, but it just... When I paint the picture of a reasonable scenario, if I'm looking for the horse, not the zebra, I have a guy that has a gambling problem. So I already know he's got an addiction problem. And typically what goes along with the gambling problem is drugs and alcohol too, which further indebts you, which sometimes gets you in the debt of really scary people. That to me, tens of thousands, maybe even more of gambling debt seems like a more reasonable way that someone ends up cut into pieces, washing up onto shore in suitcases, especially in New Jersey, than right. does a wife scorned from something that isn't even overt compared to what we've talked about in some of our previous cases. Like when I think about Lorena Bobbitt, please don't read back great the wrong job. way. Yes. She has money. Her parents have financial. There, She can easily walk out of this relationship. There's nothing that's like- And had yeah. successfully- like, why? Part? I agree with that statement. This, like, all of it feels like it just feels like this convenient. I know we say that it's the husband always did it. In this way, you could swap it. The You know, the person closest to that individual is likely the one that did it. I'm just not sure it computes in this case. Is it possible? Because I liked the other, the other thing that was kind of laid out. Is it possible that she had something to do with it without it, without directly doing it herself? Maybe. Yeah. I could be convinced of that easier. I could too. Than someone that was married to this person. It's the father of your children. There are so many layers of this. The amount of vehement hatred that would have to exist within you to brutally murder them and then to dismember them. Layered on top of the fact that no one overheard that, but they overheard the altercation that, by the way, didn't even get that violent. Like all it was was yelling. Yeah. Does it lead to murder? I don't, I, Carl, I don't know. What do you think? 
No, I feel the exact way. There's nothing in there that escalated to what happened. And when you look at the two of them, they're super flawed. He is in his early to mid 30s. She's at this point in her mid 20s to early 30s. Like they're still very, they're still young. They're still figuring it out. They're a new relationship. I just don't see how it escalated to this level where she's chopped him up into pieces and thrown him in the river. There are some things that don't feel right to me. It is seen that the place that he wanted and begged to go back to is where he would be found at. And it's sad because at the end of the day, if she did this, she wasn't justified in doing it by no mean. Like, you know, I mean, I can kind of laugh through some of it but like nothing about the way that their relationship was like justified her doing this to him if that's what happened and so that's incredibly sad that it went here but this doesn't feel like there was enough evidence that said this is exactly what happened i'm shocked that none of her appeals have lasted so far and motive like okay let's go down this rabbit hole yeah there was no motive if the motive is I'm trying to off get this off of me, like this debt, this, all of his crazy behavior. What we know about Bill is that he was a hard worker. You're honestly going to be in a financially better place keeping him alive, making him pay child support, which by the way, from what you've seen of him, you know he's good for. This doesn't even logically make sense. I can embrace the emotional side and it does sound like they had a very toxically codependent relationship. I'm going to throw something else out there that I didn't talk about at the trial. There was some evidence in the drugging of him. There were some internet searches. And I don't know why, I mean, people, like, why do you search things on the internet before you do something? By the way, if you're going to do something illegal, do not search on your internet browser like Casey Anthony. Like, it's Scott Peterson. Everybody searches something stupid on their internet. But there was some internet searches that have to do with drugging someone, something in that regard. And it was brought like, oh, Melanie, you did this. And Melanie's like, no, I didn't because I don't have to because I'm a nurse. I'm a nurse. Yeah. And I don't have to do that because I already know how that drug interacts that I don't need to look it up. And if I did need to look it up, there's a book that sits on my desk on every physician and every nurse's office in America And we can look it up without you being able to trace it. So what she later says is that not only did I not do that, but then I realized that maybe my husband wasn't far from killing me. Like maybe I could have been in the opposite situation. And I think it's interesting because we said in one of the episodes that if you are so angry I think it was Lorena Bobbitt, actually, that we were like, if you are so angry that you're now putting full harm, know that other person is right there with you. They're at that level too. As much as you are looking to kill them, they're probably thinking about you in the same regard. You are both in danger, in immediate danger. And that's why these toxic relationships can explode. I go back to then, was it a third party? Because Bill had gone to school to be a pharmacist. Yep, you're damn right. Yep. Like, I get that she knows drug interactions, but literally that's what he went to school for solely. I mean, it's a specialization. So <laughs> I don't know. For my money, I this case, topsy-turvy, at the end of the day, I guess they would consider it solved. I don't know that I do in my book. I'm not sure that they got the right person. They got a person that 
I could be convinced has some culpability, but did she actually do it? Yeah, so we'll see. I think they're still doing some appeals, so we'll see if something happens in the next couple of years. And she's in her 50s at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of her life is already spent, And Dateline just did a year or so ago an episode on the case. I know there's got to be some appeals in the works, but that is the story of Bill McGuire and Melanie McGuire in 2004. Thank you as always for taking us down a wonderful, windy path to this. I always love your storytelling. And we got lots more stories for you in store for 2023. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't send us more ideas. Uh, Send them your way. We'll try to give you a shout out on air. And bitches, we are so happy to be back. Lots of lots of good things coming to you in 2023. Until then, bye. Bye. made it to the end of the podcast thanks so much for hanging out with us and i know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback but at the end of the day it's also important that we remember to stay kind stay curious but of course stay nosy bitches bitches.